In the beginning, the earth was a dark, empty space. God spoke and created the entire world. Light, sky, fish, birds, and animals. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image. And God created man out of dirt. And the man became a human being named Adam. After six days of work, God rested. God then put Adam in a garden where there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God told Adam, eat from any tree except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will die. Eventually, God caused the man to fall asleep, took out one of his ribs, and created a woman who Adam named Eve. God joined Adam and Eve together in marriage. Later, a serpent came who convinced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, saying they would become like God if they did. Eve took a bite, and then so did Adam. Because of this choice, God cursed the serpent, as well as Adam and Eve, and forced them out of the garden away from the tree of life. Outside the garden, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. When they made sacrifices, God accepted Abel's sacrifices of animals, but not Cain's sacrifices of crops. This made Cain so angry that he killed Abel. People began to populate the entire earth, and wickedness and tragedy continued to spread. God regretted ever making human beings and decided to wipe them from the face of the earth. But God found one man, Noah, who walked faithfully. So God instructed Noah to build a giant boat called an ark and to take the entire family, along with the male and female of every kind of animal, onto the boat. For 40 days it rained and the entire earth was flooded, wiping out every living thing, plants, animals, and humans, all of it destroyed. Eventually, the flood stopped and the ark came to rest on dry land. Noah and his family came out of the ark and God made a promise that the entire earth would never again be completely flooded. This is how the story begins. Maple Grove, welcome to chapter one of the story. And let me tell you, you could not have picked a better time to be in this room, to be at this place, to be at his church, to be with his church that meets at 3210 Prophet Road, because today is chapter one of a 31-week journey into God's Word. Yet for 31 weeks from now until the beginning of September, we'll be reading a book that tells the greatest and most compelling story of all time. Uh, the story of a great, powerful, always existing God who will do whatever it takes to bring his people back home. The story of a God who speaks, a, a God who acts, a, a God who listens, a God who loves with an unfailing love. And by the way, I have some great news for you. This same, this very same God is alive and on the move today. Hear me? I got to tone it down. No, I don't. Okay. The same God is alive and moving today, January the 20th, 2013. He's still speaking. He's still listening. He's still acting. And He's still unleashing in His unfailing love despite our sin, our flaws, our failures, and our rebellious ways. 
And listen, listen, if we, if we really lean into the story during these next 31 weeks, we will have a comprehensive, big picture understanding of the Bible like never before, an understanding that will serve us well in life and in this journey to, be, to become everything that God created us to be. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. God uses His Word to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me. Let's pray open palms. This is a big deal. This is a cool journey we're on. Open palms means you're ready to receive from God today. Whatever He brings you, you're ready to take it. Father God, we humbly come into your presence. Oh Lord, I'm so excited about you. You're awesome. Indescribable. Uncontainable. No one like you. No one compares to you, God. God, you are greater. You're stronger. You're awesome in power. You're our healer. Your word is true. And Father God, I pray that your word, that your story, that the truth of who you are explodes in our lives today. God, help me to say what you want me to say in the way you want me to say it. Help me to bring honor and glory today to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, like I said, we're only at the beginning of this journey, chapter one, but I, I, don't think, I don't think I need to tell you that something pretty awesome has already begun in this place. Wow! Wow! Was last Sunday awesome and off the charts or what? Talk about some pumpification, baby. All right? That's my new word. That pumpification, when you're pumpified, you're so excited, you're so fired up that you want to jump up and shout as if the Patriots or your favorite team won a championship, because I don't want booze today, all right? It's a Lord's Day. We ain't going to boo today, all right? I, I mean, God's presence and God's power was all over this place as we introduced the story and talked about where we're headed for the next 31 weeks. I could feel it. I, I could feel it when 30-plus people gathered for prayer at 8.15. I could feel it as we worshiped. I could feel it as God's Word was opened up. I, I, I could feel it as people lined up uh, to buy copies of the story. I mean, today, one of our widow ladies for first service, Lee, had three books in her hand. said, I'm getting these books. This is my mission. This is my mission. I'm going to give these to my unsaved friends. Now, is that awesome or what? Look at that widow lady teaching us how to do it. She ain't waiting around. Y'all still there? You could feel it as we talked about the fact that our story matters to God. As we talked about that the heart of the story is Jesus. As we, we talked about the truth that the story is still being written, that God wants to take His upper story, what He's doing, and overlay that on top of our lower story that sometimes isn't so pretty. If you missed a message last week, you really need to check it out online. I mean, you don't want to miss any of this journey into God's Word. And just a quick reminder of how you can get the most out of this series. Get a copy of the book and read it. I mean, I think we've blown through almost 400 copies so far, all right? Yeah, there's some out there. Get them while they're hot, okay? Get it and read it. Talk about the story with your family, all right? 
you know, uh, everybody's doing this from children up to youth. I bought uh, Maylene Gentile on Amazon, you know, 10 bucks a piece, the kids version of this. And they're reading at home. We can talk about this. All right. Join a life group. Um, if you want to get the most out of the story, do it together. We're going to have another group link in a few weeks. You can sign up on your connection card and share the story like Lee. You know, I got unsafe friends. She's sharing the story. And remember, we had those invite cards out there. And 85% of people who don't go to church said they go to church if someone would invite them. The only problem is less than 2% of Christians invite people. Now, we're going to be covering a ton of ground every week. This week, we're covering nine chapters. And by the way, raise your hand if you read chapter one this week. Go ahead, raise your hand if you read chapter one. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, this week, you need to read chapter two to prepare for next week. All right, Maple Grove. Maple Grove, are you ready? You can do better than that. Let's rewind that tape, cut that out. I don't want to be embarrassed if someone listens online. Okay, Maple Grove, are you ready? All right, turn your Bible to page one. (laughs) I've always wanted to say that. Page one. Page one, beginning of the story. Wow, that worked for me, didn't work for anybody else. You explained your jokes, you're not good. All right, here you go. Page one. Now, you know that the greatest literary works always captivate and grab you right from the get-go. And the Bible's no exception. I mean, right out of the gates, the Bible jumps out and it takes a hold of us. Understand, the story, God's story, the Bible, it begins with the most controversial, life-giving, pride-attacking, helpful, haunting line that has ever been written in literature. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And listen, if we can believe the first line in the Bible, we won't have any problem believing anything else that we find in God's Word. I mean, if God can speak everything into existence, we won't have a problem with God being able to make a fish that a man named Jonah could live in for three days. If God can create the world with just a word, surely he can do that. If we believe the first lines of the Bible, we'll have no problem believing that our God can part the Red Sea, that our God can walk on water, that our God can take a few fish and a few pieces of bread and feed 5,000 people. I mean, if our God can speak the universe into existence, then that is just mere child's play for our God. In the beginning, God. I love it. The curtain rises, the spotlight turns on, and it shines upon God. Yeah, right out of the gates, we know exactly who the main character in this story is. We know who it is all about. It is all about God, the one who is before all things, over all things, and who holds all things together. Uh, This week, I grabbed my copy of the story, and I I took out my highlighter, and I, I highlighted every word where, yeah, it's kind of messy already, every word where I saw God or the pronoun he that applied to God. It's like everywhere. You know, God created, God said, he called, he saw, he called, he said, he saw, he said, he called. It's everywhere. This story is about God. In the beginning, God created. Now, Sam, when we read the creation account in Genesis 1, it is not primarily an exhaustive scientific text. Yeah, it does deal with matters of science, creation, and matter, and life, and such, but that's not the primary function of the Bible. A guy named Galileo said it well. Here's what he said. The Bible is not preeminently concerned with telling us how the heavens go, 
The Bible is instead most concerned with telling us how to go to heaven. And so as we read the Bible, we're not going to find every answer to every question about how the heavens go, but the Bible will point us to a God who will bring us into heaven. And that's the point of the entire story to begin with. Now, the Hebrew word that is used for create there is a word that is always used and only used of divine creative activity, and it speaks of bringing something into existence out of nothing. <laughs> something out of nothing, okay? I mean, think about that for a minute. That's crazy. Hebrews 11.3, we read, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. Formless, empty, and dark. And then God speaks, and things light up. Order comes from chaos. The earth begins to fill up. And you know what? Th those three words pretty much describe my life before God began shaping and forming it into what he'd always meant it to be, formless, empty, and dark. And, and, and to be honest, I, I found that anytime I do some serious drifting in my walk with God, those three bad boys come riding back with a vengeance to try to redefine my life once again. And you know what I really like about the picture in these first three verses I really like the picture of the Holy Spirit hovering. I mean, it's like he's just waiting. He's just waiting to be unleashed. He's just waiting to be creating all the things that God wants to be created. And you know what? I believe, I believe that the Holy Spirit is hovering over us right now. I believe the Holy Spirit is hovering over me. He's hovering over you. He's hovering over this place. He's hovering over our lives. He's hovering over our church, waiting to be unleashed, waiting to create something in the year 2013 that will blow our minds. He's hovering. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Okay, day one is done, and, and God just keeps on creating, and he uses the same basic pattern. You have the announcement, God said. You have the uh, command, let there be. You have the report, and it was so. The evaluation, and it was good. And then the temporal framework. Morning came, evening came, and then the day number. Again, day one, light. Day two, water and sky. Day three, land. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, God fills the sea and the air with fish and birds. Day six, the animals. And that's some pretty impressive stuff. The heavens and the earth, billions of galaxies, the sun the moon, the stars, Mount Everest, oceans, rivers, birds, animals. But you know what? All of that is just a display case for God's real piece of art. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. There's a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Listen, man is a unique creation. Unlike any other part of God's creation, understand, we did not evolve from some lower life form. We are bearers of the image of God. And our purpose is to reflect and fill the earth with that image, to glorify God, and to enjoy a life-changing relationship with him both now and forever. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, Like I said, the story, God's story of the Bible, begins with the most controversial life-giving, pride-attacking, helpful, haunting line that has ever been written in literature. And Maple Grove, I want you to know that I believe that Genesis chapter 1 is true. I believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that the universe and life itself is the direct result of a God who brought all things into existence and not the result of random chance. And I believe that for several reasons. Number one, because God said he did it. I mean, right out of the gates, right? The very first ten words of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? But that's not the only place he makes that claim. He makes that claim throughout all of Scripture, like in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And then in Jeremiah 27, verse 5, just happened to read it this morning in my Bible reading. Didn't really know it was there, but here's what God says in Jeremiah 27, verse 5. With my great strength and powerful arm, I make the earth and all its people in every animal. And then Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. I believe that God created heavens and earth because God said it, and my God is not a liar. Uh, number two, I believe uh, that God created heavens and earth because design implies a designer. And when I look around at this world, I, I see design everywhere, especially in the human body to begin with. Check out this quote about the human eye. To suppose that the human eye, with so many parts all working together, could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Anybody know who said that? Charles Darwin. Origins of Species in a chapter called Difficulties with the Theory. Now, actually, the name of the book is a lot longer. Here's the real name. The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection and the Preservation of Favorite Races in the Struggle for life. And what he's saying is this, certain animals are superior and they destroy inferior animals. Certain races are superior and they destroy inferior races. Now they don't usually tell us a whole title because they want us to be atheists and evolutionists, not racist. 
They're tricky. Kind of like the guy who shows up in, in Genesis chapter 3. They only tell us part of the story. They only tell us bits and pieces so they can twist God's story. When I look at the human body, I see design everywhere. Now, by anybody's standards, the human eye is a marvel. It's made up of 100 million cells. There are 7 million special cones that fire up information to the brain whenever any degree of light comes their way. And here's a little trivia. On average, how many shades of color can the normal human eye distinguish between? Take a guess. Anybody think it's around 100? Okay. A uh, number between 100 and 500. Anybody afraid to guess? Okay. 1,000. The average human eye can differentiate between a thousand different shades of color. And beyond that, our eye has the most sophisticated autofocusing capability ever designed. I mean, think about it. We can be sitting at a restaurant and we can read a menu on the wall, turn and see the smile on our dinner companion's face, and then look down to see the hair that the cook left in our salad. Okay? And we can do that at the snap of a finger. No man-made device can or ever will be able to match the complexity, the sophistication, and the effectiveness of the human eye, which is just one part of the human body. And apparently one day, while studying the human eye, Charles Darwin, in a moment of unusual candor, said, Wow! There's no way that this thing just happened by chance. Consider your heart. It's not an accidental organ by chance evolution. It has been perfectly designed to pump 2,000 gallons of blood a day. I mean, look at your kidneys and lungs. Your lungs are more than air-filled sacs. They're designed to filter oxygen out of the air you breathe. These lungs contain 300 billion tiny blood vessels. I counted them last week, called capillaries. The entire blood supply washes through your lungs every few minutes. I read that the adult brain contains over 100,000 billion electrical connections. I don't know how they counted that. They say it's more than all the electrical connections and all the electrical appliances in the world. I don't know if that's true, but here's what I do know. The brain's pretty crazy. It's pretty wild. I mean, what did you have for dinner last night? Close your eyes. What color shirt am I wearing? You can open them. Uh, yeah. who, who was your first best friend? Uh, what was one of the scariest moments of your life? What was your first car, the first home you lived in? Crazy. It's like all in that gray thing up there. It's nuts. Your tongue has 8,000 taste buds. Eating would be born without it. Your ears, do you think it's an accident? They were designed to capture sound, the grooves, the bumps, the edges that were created to catch passing sound waves and channel them into your eardrum? Your hands were made to grip and feel, your nose to smell. Your nose was put right on top of your mouth so you could smell the good food you're about to eat. I mean, imagine if your nose was put upside down. Every time it rained, you would drown. I mean, that would really be a problem. The human body is visible evidence of a designer of God. Scientist Dr. Walter Bradley says the mathematical odds of assembling a living organism are so astronomical that nobody believes that random chance accounts for the origin of life. He said if you optimized the conditions, it wouldn't work. If you took all the carbon in the universe and put it on the face of the earth, allowed it to chemically react at the most rapid rate possible for a billion years, the odds of creating just one functional protein molecule would be one chance in 10 with 60 zeros after it. And that's for one functional protein molecule. Biochemist Michael B. he says the probability of linking together 100 amino acids to create one protein molecule are the same odds of blindfolding somebody and having them pick out a marked grain of sand in the Sahara Desert not once but three times. 
The distinguished astronomer Sir Frederick Cole put it confidently when he says the chance occurrence of just one protein cell is about as likely as a tornado whirling through a junkyard and accidentally assembling a fully functioning Boeing 747. <laughs> we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The human body speaks the design of God. And so does creation. The heavens tell the glory of God. The skies display His marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound of word. Their voice is silent in the skies. Yet their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the world. Earth is a big hunk of rock, 24,000 miles around. Yet one million earths would fit inside of the sun. The sun is 93 million miles away. Some of its flames leap up 1,000 miles. The sun is pretty big, but as big as our sun is, there's some stars so big that 500 million suns would fit inside of them. And then consider the necessary factors for life to exist on planet Earth. Now back in the 1960s, they believed the Earth was not all that special. And that there were maybe 30 the 60,000 other planets out there that could support life. Thus, Captain Kirk and the Starship Enterprise went on the voyage to go where no man has gone before to find these strange people. What they discovered is that's not so. Earth is really special. You see, we have to be in the right part of the galaxy. We need the right type of sun. We need the right type of atmosphere. Atmosphere. We need just the right amount of metal in our core so uh, the plates move. Uh, we need the right ratio of land to water. We need the right type of moon so we just tilt and don't like roll around. And the crazy thing is, in our solar system, the plant, the planet, other planets, they're like offensive linemen that, that block. Any time that a, a, you know, a, a meteor comes, it's going to hit that planet so it doesn't hit us. And, and, and because they're so gaseous, it's like hitting a pillow. It's, it seems like it's designed. And now they're saying, well, there's not so many. They're saying that the odds of this happening is like .00000 with a bunch of other zero zeros after it. Mathematically, we shouldn't be here. But I just pinched myself, and we are. Check out what one scientist said. I love this. Everyone who is seriously interested in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to man, and one in the face of which our modest powers must feel humble. You see, when I, when I pick up a book, I assume that there was an author. And when I come into this building, though I wasn't here, I assume that somebody built it. I don't assume that. Well, there must have been a tornado that hit the lows down the road a few years back, and all of a sudden, this building... Now, do we think this building is more complex than the human body or, or all of the creation? Design implies a designer. Great design implies a great designer. I, I believe God created the heavens and the earth because He said it. Because design implies a designer, and, and because the alternative has too many unanswered questions and an unacceptable conclusion. You see... Those who don't accept God created the heavens and earth, they have no explanation how we ever got from non-life to life or from something, from nothing to something. I, I watched the movie Expelled on Netflix. It's free. Um, this week preparing for this message. And in it, uh, Ben Stein, he's interviewing Richard Dawkins. And Dawkins, evolution guru, and he's talking about how nobody knows how this stuff all got started. And, and then Ben Stein asked him, well, do you think intelligent design could be an answer to some of this? And here's what he said. I got out my spiral notebook and wrote it down. I think I got it verbatim. Here's what Dawkins says. It could have come about the following way. It could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, 
A civilization involved, a civilization, a civil, wow. Pumpification can be a dangerous thing. Don't leave it in the hands of children unattended. Okay. Okay. It could have come about the following way. It could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved, probably by some, through some kind of Darwinian means, to a very high level of technology, and designed a form of life that they seeded on perhaps this planet. That's a possibility. So he said that there are aliens on another planet that evolved by Darwinian means, and they came here and they planted life on the planet Earth. And they said, well, how did they get there? Well, I don't, how did they evolve? Well, I don't really know. They have no answer to that. God does. Number two, the fossil record does not support macroevolution. You know, from one species to another. Darwin believed that archaeology, that we have all these transitional fossils where you have somewhere between a, a reptile and a bird. They're just not there. And then the third thing is, you know, it has an unacceptable conclusion that we're just an accident. So we are. Survival of the fittest and that life has no ultimate purpose. And, and guys, this is important stuff and, and I can't talk any more about it, but it is a big deal. And listen, I'm, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that the enemy wants us to doubt God right at the first 10 words of the Bible. And listen, if he gets us to think that our God is a liar, even though we don't know it, he's planted the seed of doubt, and how can we trust God about anything? Throughout his word, he says you create. Well, I know, I don't think he did. Okay, again, I can't spend any more time. Here's some good resources you can check out. Um, you got Ben Stein, Expelled is Free. You know, um, the Privileged Planet is a book or a buck 99 on Amazon.com. Talks about the earth. And then the case for the creator, Lee Strobel. I mean, if you want to look into this. Okay, but I just want you guys to know that, you know, it, it takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God. And that's all I got to say about that. All right. Like I said earlier, God's the main character in the story. And in the beginning, God. So this week I kept saying, okay, if, if God's the main character, what is the first chapter? What does this opening scene, what is this opening scene trying to tell us about God? And I thought long and hard about it. I really did. And here's some of the stuff I came up with. Number one, God is great. In the beginning, God. God is a main character, and God is great. Listen, the psalmist was so right. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Wow, our God created everything from whirling galaxies to fluttering butterflies and everything in between he created everything i mean we have scientists trying to create formulas to understand things that god created he knows the formulas already he created them he's great and our god took and he still takes that which is dark and empty and formless and he fills it and he forms it and he gives it life and I love those two phrases that are repeated throughout the creation process. God said, let there be, and there it was, and it was so. Listen, our God is great, and our God can do anything. If he spoke this universe into existence, he can do anything. He, he said to a, an old guy and his barren wife in Genesis, he said, he said you're going to have a son by next year. And he says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? He, he said to a king in 2 Kings chapter 3, he said, you know what? I'm going to fill this valley full of water. I'm not even going to use any rain to do it. And he says, this is an easy thing 
in the eyes of the Lord. And he says to a pregnant middle, he says to a virgin middle school girl, You're about to have my son, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm here to tell you that, that Genesis chapter 1 screams out the fact that our God is great. There is no one greater. Isn't that a good thing to know? Amen. And our God is good. The word good is used several times in creation. In fact, every time God creates something, he says that it was good. And I think most times we take that to mean that God looked at his handiwork and thought to himself, hey, nice job. Looks good. You're like, we just painted a room or built something? Or like whenever I make a, a Facebook post or comment, I mean, I make a post, I like it. I'm the first one to like it every time. I mean, why would I make it if I didn't like it? You know, I post it, I like it. No one's ever beat me yet. You know, if you do, I'll delete you and start over again. So I'll be the first one. But you know, it seems kind of silly, like, God had to stop and, he didn't know it was good until he looked at it, or like it was an experiment, or like he tried one time before and it didn't work out so well. Now some people try to say, well, it was good in a moral sense. That doesn't make sense because dry land is not morally good or bad, it's just dry land. But God declared it good. Good for what? Good for who? Good for God? I mean, did God benefit from the vision, did God benefit from the division of the land from the sea, or from... The creation of birds or fish? Was it for God that certain plants, plants were created for food and others for beauty? In other parts of Scripture, we discover that all creation declares God's glory. But exactly who hears this declaration? We do. I understand, God declared each act of creation good because it was good for us. Okay, it's day six, and we got light, we got water, we got land, sky, birds, fish, trees, Animals, sun, moon, stars, they're all here. And verse 26 starts out this way. Then, after the stage is set, then, after everything is ready, then, after the nursery is painted, I got all my blankets and cribs set up, then God said, let us make mankind our own image and our own likeness. Understand, those beautiful sunrises and sunsets, they're for us. Th those, that food you love to eat, those fruits and vegetables, they're for us. The fish, the shrimp, the lobster, the scallops, I love seafood, they're for us. The mountains, the beaches, the lakes, the rivers, the streams, the desert plains, the rainforests, the moon, the stars, yeah, they're all for us. They're good for us. Uh, creating marriage and relationship, they're good for us. Understand, in the beginning, it was good because God is good. And there was more beauty than mankind could absorb. More food than mankind could assume, consume. There was uninterrupted fellowship between God and man. There was no guilt. There was no condemnation. The first couple never went to bed at night wondering where they stood with God. There was freedom. Freedom to decide. Freedom to choose. Freedom to trust. Understand, God completely trusted mankind with creation. And every day, Adam and Eve chose whether or not they would be trustworthy. And for a while, they were. How long, we don't know. But we do know because page 5 of the story tells us that, that one day, mankind violated God's trust. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And, and I want to point out three of Satan's tactics 
The reason why is because he uses the same things today to convince us to disobey what God tells us to do. The first thing Satan does is he sarcastically questions God's word. He says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? All this good fruit that's around us. Did God really say he created the heavens and earth? Did he really, come on, did he really say that? And then Satan denies God's word. You will not surely die. And thoroughly he reverses God's word and says, you'll not surely die. Instead, your eyes will be open and you'll really live. You'll see what living is really about. You see, Satan is a father of lies. And he lies to Eve and Eve buys the lie. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And from that moment, the world will never be the same again. And then it says she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now understand, Eve should not have eaten the fruit, but can I tell you something, men? Can I tell you something, gentlemen? Adam should have protected his wife. Adam should have helped her. He was right there, and he said and did nothing. Men, that's our job. It's wired in us from creation. He didn't do it. He didn't step up. Genesis 3, 7 is interesting. It says, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. You see, up until this time, they were living in perfect innocence, perfect harmony, completely uninhibited. But now they feel guilt and shame, and that's what sin does. So the first thing they do, they, they want to hide, and, and then fear enters the garden. They're afraid of God. And God comes to the garden, the first thing he says is, he says to the man, where are you? I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Who lied to you to get you to do something I told you not to do? Understand, sin causes everything to fall apart. And we know that, don't we? In fact, Paul says in Romans 8 that all of creation groans. Waiting for Christ to restore things. Yes, God is good, but time and time again we see that man is not so good. Very next chapter, Adam and Eve's son, Cain, kills his brother Abel. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, the sin virus has become a global pandemic. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Question. How does God respond to all of our not-so-goodness? Well, the answer is the final point of your notes. Again, Genesis chapter 1, the opening act is teaching us things about God, that God is great and God is good. And third, that God is gooder. I, I don't care if it's a word or not. I like it. If you're here a visitor, I make my own words because I can't say normal words anyhow, and it works. Okay? Like, that God is gooder than we could ever have imagined. I, I, I got to tell you what, what hit me Thursday afternoon. I was struggling all day with this text, and finally it hit me, this little phrase, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, grace. Grace. How does our great God respond to mankind ignoring, abusing, misusing, turning away from, and spitting on his goodness? How does God respond to you and I doing the same very thing? By being gooder than we could ever imagine. By dispensing his amazing grace. By giving them in us exactly what we do not deserve. Wow, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
Right there in Genesis chapter 3, he's talking to the serpent, and he says this to him. He says, you know what, one day, one day, through the seed of a woman, my son's going to come. And you know what, you're going to mess with him, you're going to hurt him, you're going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, grace. And how does God respond to the wickedness of Noah's day? By saving Noah's family and giving mankind a brand new start. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, grace. Maple Grove, the the opening pages, the opening pages of the Bible, Act 1, screams out that our God is great, that our God is good, and that our God is gooder than we could ever imagine. Uh, Understand, our our God does not come and seek to tear things down and destroy and to break things apart. Our God came to put things back together again. Check out this video. You. Look at your eyes. Look at them. Speckled. Colorful. Each one unique. And I created every one of them. I created everything. The universe. And you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure. And every day, I give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, you were slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. It just kills you faster. Separates us more and more. What are you searching for? I don't want you to die. Not to be destroyed, but to know me. So I became one of you, a fragile creation. I was tempted, but I never sinned. I came to save you. You have so many sins, and they have a cost. Someone has to die. You or me. So I took on your sin and traded in my life for yours. And I died in your place. 
because I love you. Then, Follow me. Amen. Yeah, the story screams out the greatness, the goodness, and the grace of our God. Um, you may not know, but uh, you know, today is uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we say hey, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. And you know, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he talks about the flood. And he says these words, he says, and that water, the waters of flood, which saved Noah's family by washing away a wicked world, and that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to a good a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter on the first day of Pentecost, and and, and I can relate to this so much, and you know, God came to my life was dark, empty, and formless. And I was 19 years old. It was a Sunday night, December 30th, 1979. And, and you know, I believed in who Jesus was. I, I, wanted to, I knew my life wasn't working out the good way. I, it wasn't working out with me leading the show. And in the first Christian church in Orlando, Florida, I walked forward at the end of the service. And that night I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter says that's a, there's a promise tied to that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the Bible says it like this. You know, Peter preached the first gospel sermon, convicted people. Hey, you just killed God's son. Not a good thing. He's pretty ticked off at you. And they're saying, what should we do? Peter replied, repent to be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day my sins were forgiven and God's Spirit came inside of me. And began to shape and form me into who I'm supposed to be. He's still working on me. Got a lot, got, he's made some progress, but i got a long ways to go. And, and this morning, you know, I, I was thinking about this and saying, okay, just mention and move on. And you, you don't really want to beg people to be baptized. And then I remember that in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says that 3,000 people were baptized that day to receive the message. But you know what verse 40 says? With many other words, Peter pleaded with them. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. And today, if you're in this room, and you believe in, so who should be baptized today? And you say, well, I wasn't prepared for it. That's all right. God did all the heavy lifting. As he lifted up the cross on Hill Calvary. Who needs to be baptized? Anybody in this room who believes that Jesus is the Christ and the living God. 
Anybody who's willing to confess Him as Lord. Anybody who is willing to repent and say, you know what, running my own show kind of stinks, and I want a new Lord, not me. Anyone who believes those things and has never been baptized, don't let the enemy get in your head right now and say, well, did God really say you should be baptized? Uh Uh-huh, I think he did. I I think he did. He said it right there. And so, again, I I just plead with you. I I plead with you. Today is the day of salvation. I just plead with you to do that. And and then, for those of us in this room, I I just want to challenge you before you sing this closing song. and, and, And God created us on purpose for purpose. And we have the creative power of God inside of us. We're designed to create. And we can create a better world. We can create self-esteem in a child by the way we talk to them. We can create a different environment at work. You can create a new work environment where you live. You can create something different in your home. We can go out and create something different in this community. We've been ordained by God with the power to create because we are made in His image. We're designed to create something better. What are you doing? What are you doing? Not what your neighbor, not what I'm doing, but what are you doing, fellow Jesus followers, with your God-giving creative ability? Let's make this world better. And we're going to end with this song we sang, a declaration, because chapter 1 declared who God was. Our God is good. Our, our God is great. Our God is gooder than we could ever imagine. That, that's who our God is. And we're going to sing this song. And, and again, if you ha- want to make a decision, today to walk forward. Again, God has done the heavy lifting. Let's sing the song as we stand and sing.